everyone. This is Jules, your host of the All Things Iceland podcast. Welcome to this week's episode, which is a deep dive into a tough topic. I had the pleasure to speak with Christine Lofsdottir, a professor of anthropology at the University of Iceland. Her research has focused on migration, whiteness, gender, racism, Nordic exceptionalism, post-colonialism, and crisis. And she's based her work in Iceland, Niger, and Belgium. She is currently leading the project Creating Europe Through Racialized Mobility, or the acronym CERM. And that received a grant from the Icelandic Center of Research. Christine has actively participated in various other international collaborations and projects. Most recently, her publication is the monograph titled Crisis and Coloniality at Europe's Margins, Creating Exotic Iceland. Her co-edited books include Messy Europe, Crisis, Race, and Nation-State in a Post-Colonial World, and Whiteness and Post-Colonialism in a Nordic Region. Christine's research has also been published in journals such as Ethnos, European Journal for Women's Studies, Social Anthropology, Identities, and Social Identities. In my last episode, which was about my experience as a Black American in Iceland, as well as the country's response to George Floyd's murder, I gave you a little bit of insight on how I found Christine. And I'll just recap it slightly here, which was in essence, I did a Google search just trying to find out if there was a history of white supremacy in Iceland especially with all the things that have been bubbling up recently. I've been kind of curious about that. And after finding one of her publications through that Google search, I reached out to her about setting up an interview. She then sent me more of her published articles and, you know, said, you can check them out and read them if you'd like before we meet. And of course, that sparked my interest because I would love to just learn as much as possible before an interview. And these particular articles I gobbled up because I was learning so much about the history of Iceland in a completely different context, through a completely different lens than I'd ever was aware of existed. And I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if other people who live in Iceland, specifically Icelanders, feel the same after listening to this interview with Christine. And during our talk, we hit on a lot of different aspects of the concept of whiteness, Nordic exceptionalism, and racism here in Iceland. I learned a lot during this interview, and I hope you do too. And before I jump into the talk, though, I encourage you to go into this with an open heart and mind. Racism is a sensitive topic, and it does make people feel uncomfortable, Of course, it makes those who are being discriminated against feel uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable for those who are in a position of privilege, in this case, white privilege. And more than likely, there will be some uncomfortable feelings that come up. For some, it might be helpful to just sit with that and ask why. It also might be really helpful for you to educate yourself on racism and the history of it. Um, I am going to include links to Christine's books in the show notes on allthingsiceland.com. So check that out if you'd like to read some of her work. Also, I will include other links to 
help those who are interested in helping to join the anti-racism fight. So ways you can be an ally, how to be anti-racist, and things of that nature. So definitely check those out if that sparks your interest. As I've mentioned before, this is a global issue, and it's one about fighting for humanity. So I just encourage you to join all of us who are looking to have a more just and equal world. Christine, thank you so much for sitting down to talk with me today about this very important topic. Thank you very much for inviting me. My pleasure. And I'm excited, but also I think kind of prepared myself a little bit for all the different insights that you'll be sharing, because I think this is one of those topics that, at least for me, before coming to Iceland, I didn't know, just because the perception of Iceland and mm-hmm. everything else. And not to say that Iceland's not um, still a great place, but mm-hmm. just the things that aren't readily known or talked about, you know, and, and as you kind of like live here, and I've been living here now for four years, and you learn about, sometimes it could be a little bit hard to kind of understand culture and how things have developed over time when it comes to racism and white supremacy in this country. So I'm, I'm very happy to be able to kind of like share this with my audience and also for you to just give us some kind of hard truths today. Yeah. <laughs> so, but before we jump into that, though, mm-hmm. I would love for you to share a little bit about your background yeah. and what mm-hmm. made you interested in being an anthropologist. Yeah. I'm from Iceland. I'm born in 68 and grew up here in, in a town called Tapnafjörður, where I live now. And at that, you know, time when I'm growing up, Iceland is uh, a very small place. It is a very different place from what it is now. Mm-hmm. Both, I think, uh, internally but also externally. No one had any interest in Iceland at that time. People today speak like it's just natural, that everyone wants to come to Iceland and visit yeah. because of the beautiful nature. But that was not the case then. Yeah. You know, of course, there were some people traveling. Right. But still. So I think one of the reasons why I went into anthropology is, uh, you know, the critical perspective that it offers. That it really kind of forces you to question your own assumptions, mm. your, own, your own position and privileges and... I think I can just say I almost like fell in love with anthropology. It doesn't mean that I think it's the only important di- discipline, but for me it was really like, like I find I felt like I finally found you know uh, some kind of insight into what it means to be a human being right. and a way to criticize uh, my own surrounding and society. And from the beginning, I was always very interested in the issue of inequality okay. and in racism. Uh, and I remember just from when I was, before I went to anthropology, just hearing people saying racist things, you know, knowing inside that it was mm. wrong, but not having, you know, the tools to uh, to question it right. okay. or to kind of make my case against it. So debated, that was, yeah, sense, debated, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that for me was also a, a reason to go into anthropology, okay. was that I, I just wanted to know 
how things were, you know, wanted to go beyond what was seen as normal and natural in my mm. own society and just in the global south in general. It was not only Iceland, but also like this wider uh, perspective. But at that time, anthropology was only taught on, on a B, A level. Okay. Yeah. So if you wanted to uh, go into further studies, you had to uh, go abroad. Okay. So I think that also in itself tells a lot about what a different place Iceland was then. I'm not saying everyone were the same. Obviously, that was not the case. There were a lot of different differentiation. But people had much more similar background, much mm-hmm. more similar experiences than they have today when they are moving back and forth from different places. And just, you know, when we were learning anthropology, all of this seemed so far away. Everything else seemed so far away. And when you were growing up, in your family, like, were you taught were you taught about inequality? Or is it just because you mentioned that you would hear things and you would know yeah. that it was wrong? Was it like your parents telling you, treat everybody equally, but then you're also, you know, mm-hmm. juxtapositioned with people saying things. You're just like, wait a minute, we're supposed to treat everyone equally, but yeah, you're saying exactly. this thing yeah. that is obviously yeah. not treating them equally or putting them in a light that is unfair or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was very lucky in the sense that my parents both had a very strong sense of equality, treating people with dignity and and respect. So I think that definitely was very important to me. But when I'm talking about hearing people saying, I'm more meaning outside of Ah, my immediate circle. Got it. Because, you know, at Iceland at that time, people, again, didn't really, it was not only me being a child, but people didn't really maybe know that much, you know, in academic sense Mm -hmm. Of how, you know, like today, people who are not academics, they still know a lot of the discussion or not a lot of the work that has been done in anthropology and postcolonial right. theory. So it, that also is a little bit uh, like a different environment. Yeah, absolutely. And it's yeah. also a lot more access to yeah, things, right? More, yeah. So exactly. I think that's the case. And like you mentioned, even on a higher level, educational level, you had to go outside. Mm-hmm. So, and going outside, where did you go then to study yeah. and what was that experience <laughs> like? So I went to uh, Tucson in Arizona, University of Arizona. And that was like a series of coincidences why I selected that place. But I think part of it was that I really wanted to go somewhere different. Yeah. I wanted to experience something different. I felt like I was just kind of sometimes... Uh, like Iceland was so small Mm -hmm. and you know I just wanted to see and 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 experience something uh, to go far away you know and to be uh, in Tucson at that time was really great of course when you are in a university setting you are in your bubble you're meeting within you know as a student of anthropology you're meeting people who are very progressive very critical of their own environment but, but at the same time, Tucson still as a place, I think it is, it is very kind of vibrant. Mm-hmm. A lot of kind of activism, a lot of critical discussion also going on in a, in a more broader context. Okay. And, and for me also, at that time, I, I was not... Uh, it was very nice to go to the U.S. because I was critical of some of the things, you know in terms of racism and, and things like that, that are associated with the U.S. But it was good to go there, meet, you know, real people right, yeah. and engage with them. And 
were there any like revelations that you had? Because it's obviously that you're now in a situation where it's so outside of what you're used to. Mm -hmm. And with the U.S., like you mentioned, I mean, it's just the systemic racism there has been perpetuated for Mm -hmm. over 400 years. So there's probably a lot to unpack, right? And then it's like shining the light on Iceland. Did Mm -hmm. you, when you went to go study, was it always the intention that you were going to be taking a a magnifying glass to Iceland and how? Okay, not necessarily. I think, you know, at that time, I didn't necessarily have this kind of long vision into the future. Yeah. You know, it was just kind of like, okay, you know, I wanted to do, first I had to finish my master and then the PhD, obviously, and, and just kind of the hope that I would be a PhD material. But, but yeah, maybe you are still right. I wanted to, you know, kind of learn how to communicate certain criticism. I wanted to kind of understand my own uh, environment on a deeper level, but yeah. but also not necessarily only work in Iceland. That right. was not necessarily at that time a vision to be living and working in Iceland for the for the rest of my life. Right. Okay. I think I d- just didn't look that far <laughs> into the future. <laughs> okay. And I think actually because I ended up going to uh, West Africa to Niger mm-hmm. and did my. Uh, research there where I lived in uh, for two years from 96 to 98 okay. and that I think has been very useful for me coming here to Iceland to look at my own society right. with some of the insights that I got living in this year okay. uh, for example in terms of whiteness right. and uh, and just you know this uh, racism uh, that has also been a part of Icelandic society definitely when you decided then that you were going to focus on Iceland mm-hmm. and kind of, cause I, I don't know of how many other people in Iceland are doing this type of work. Yeah. And I was just fortunate to find you through a simple Google search, <laughs> but I think I, I Googled white yeah. supremacy mm-hmm. in Iceland. And this happened after yeah. the recent events, just mm-hmm. because like I mentioned, I wasn't, I kind of had rose colored glasses on. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it's, I think in some way that's helped me be able to feel very comfortable in Iceland. It's mm-hmm. kind of being blind to the fact that there's yeah. like underlying issues yeah. uh, regarding race. Yeah. And now a lot of things have just been broken open, right? Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. But yeah. just kind of going back, though, to mm-hmm. you deciding to focus on Iceland. Yeah. Was it surprising to you when you started to kind of like research mm-hmm. and write about and, and find out like the the struggle that Iceland has, has been in over the centuries, right? To be, yeah. they're a colony and mm-hmm. then trying to almost like get rid of that colony image and yeah, what that's associated exactly. with, yeah. you know, with other mm-hmm. colonies that are usually of people of uh, different color yeah. uh, or at least stat, stat, status, you know, can, being considered savage or mm-hmm. uncivilized and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So was that... I think, you know, when I was in Niger, I started thinking, you know, I had plenty of time (laughs) to think because part of the time I lived, you know, out nowhere without any electricity Mm. or anything. So I had plenty of time to sit and and think about, you know, looking back, looking into the future. And, you know, I started thinking so much about my own environment, Mm -hmm. you know, what I did learn about Iceland and Iceland position in all this. People there at that time, they did not know where Iceland was. Just like in the in the US, people often didn't know anything, you know, about Iceland and and so to me it was interesting also, you know, that for example, uh, my my friends in Israel they always introduced me to other people from Iceland. 
<laughs> and they always said she's not a, you know from France uh, and then when I told them that some uh, I mean this is like a not maybe related to your question but but it's a little bit interesting still yeah so when I told them once that you know some people from Algeria came here you know many hundred years ago and took some people and sold into slavery in Algeria yeah that was always added to the story and I think that, that the reason was to bring me somehow closer you know to you know, there I was benefiting really from Nordic mm. exceptionalism, even though I didn't really think about it in that sense. Right. Then I just thought it was interesting how they wanted to distance me from, you know, the white privileged people right. who were living there. And I was, of course, a part of, even though I was from Iceland. Right. Yeah, so I think there, when I was there, I, I started thinking about, okay, I really want to take my experience from here and... And uh, and just kind of the issue of whiteness and look at that in relation to to Iceland and, right. and racism. And there had been some things done on racism in Iceland uh, previously, but not very much. Right. And and in terms of whiteness, I think no one had really thought about that in that sense. But that also had to do, of course, with theorizing, uh, you know, where whiteness theory is not really... You know, it's not that long ago. Of course, now it's several decades still. But, right, yeah. <laughs> but at that time, maybe not that long time ago. So uh, when I moved back, I started thinking about uh, also like the relationship of Iceland to the African continent. Mm-hmm. So I started this project, Images of uh, Africa and Iceland okay. in 2002 and got a grant for it. And, and in that project... It was the goal was both to kind of look at the racism, mm-hmm. you know, the the project of colonialism and colonial images that Iceland had been part of, and of course, I found a lot of images. I found a lot of text showing, you know, that Iceland was fully participating in this and mm. in a very similar way as you as you see in in other countries. But what I thought was interesting also was to see how racist discourse was intertwined with nationalistic discourse Mm -hmm. and with Iceland's position as a Danish dependency or a colony. Mm -hmm. And to me, you know, to understand racism in Iceland at that time, you have to contextualize it in this wider perspective. And to say that Iceland was a colony does not mean that it was colony in the same sense as other countries. Not at all. It just means that it's very difficult to understand some of the dynamics going on without contextualizing it in in that light. Yeah, and I think that's why, you know, when I was reading through your publications, Mm -hmm. I guess, and and probably other reasons too, you talk about the racial discourse, but why Iceland was so, or Icelanders, intellectual Icelanders were so adamant about trying to distance them and the country from the perception of a colony. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that tells a lot. So a lot of the racism, not all of it, mm-hmm. was generated exactly from showing we are not part of this crowd. Right. We are a completely different people here trying to associate them better with uh, other European countries with more privileged status and with, uh, you know, white population. Right. But whiteness was still not... 
yeah. the discourse was more kind of intersecting, you know, whiteness and emphasis on civilization. You cannot right. just take the concept whiteness and apply it alone right. in that discussion. Right. So it's like you have to come up to a certain standard. And yeah. then on top of that, being white yeah. gives you this even more privilege in a yeah. sense. Yeah. So, so yeah. the example that I often take to demonstrate how this was done was the colonial exhibition in, in, in Copenhagen mm-hmm. in 1904. And, and it was so clear then that the Icelandic students who were living in, in uh, Copenhagen at that time, they, they had seen such display of people from all over the world, which, uh, as probably your listener know, were quite popular in Europe, mm-hmm. uh, especially, I think, since 1880 or 1870 and, and even uh, before. So the Icelandic students, they had obviously seen such displays in, in Copenhagen, but uh, when they were supposed to be put into that frame, mm-hmm. that was the problem. And in that... Uh, and and many of them protested in the media and using very racist vocabulary. And, you know, you can just see the racism surfacing in that context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in essence, trying to join the group of the elites, which are being racist, right? Exactly. And this is where all exactly. these exhibitions are coming from, or basically yeah. like putting people, literal, like living people on display. Yeah. Right and yeah, yeah that's um, definitely something in the U.S. too. So you have been yeah. in the U.S. where yeah. have been doing and, over the years and drawing kind of this line between, you know, also both those from abroad, like I've seen in the U.S., mm-hmm. but also on people uh, who are from the U.S. Yeah. black people, you know, mm-hmm. kind of associating them with someone outside of the space of the U.S. So yeah. I think that was also the case, like in Denmark, is draw, pushing together, you know, different classes mm-hmm. that were socially identified as white right. by juxtapositioning them against, uh, you know, colonized black or non-white people. Yeah, and would, at the time would probably have been described as savages, but mm-hmm. later, as you talk about, it, it switches mm-hmm. to indigenous, yeah. even yeah. though it has the same kind of package yeah, yeah but it just yeah. it's more polite in essence right yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. yeah and i think that's definitely something around the world where people are mm-hmm. battling against is like you know taking on the indigenous term yeah but then what it means right because in exactly. iceland no one says indigenous iceland icelanders no, right? no, no. <laughs> we say native yeah. icelanders yes but it doesn't have that same um expression of history yeah where even though iceland struggled a lot and was very Mm -hmm. poor yeah and at one point was seen by your some europeans as being like you know uncivilized and unclean and yeah you know and then then the shift happened right and that's almost as if like icelanders would love for that to just not be part of their (laughs) history that people talk about right it's like we're different now we're this is who we are and we fit in we're fine exactly yeah i think that's such a fascinating topic of of the struggle Uh right and like kind of what you're willing in essence to give up in order to gain yeah right and at the time it's you know i don't know they didn't necessarily feel solidarity i wouldn't think with uh greenlanders Mm -hmm. for instance yeah but at the same time we're in similar positions right so um and then having opportunity to develop get independence Mm -hmm. economically develop Mm -hmm. especially after world war ii yeah yeah. and then advance way past Mm -hmm. you know certain um 
nations that were had been colonized. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and now it's as if like yeah. everything is is fine and dandy, and there's no yeah. you know, and and there's no racism, and we didn't take part in it, right? And this yeah. that part has just been probably the hardest for me to grapple with uh-huh. because I can somewhat understand trying to advance. Yeah, but then it's you know I'm in a group of people who, in essence, don't benefit from it, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. also um, can't fully understand the concept of why whiteness is even. A thing that is necessary. That's yeah. always been my biggest problem is like mm-hmm. why we have yeah. this to contend with in the first place. And mm-hmm. that's not a question for you, which no, is more no. about like you yeah. Know, yeah. a thought that I have continuously. Yeah. Yeah. Because obviously I know a lot of people that would wish that this wasn't a problem. Yeah. Right? yeah. But in essence, like if we don't acknowledge it yeah. as, a, as a thing, yeah. then how can we tackle it in the first place? Yeah, right? exactly. So. And I think... Uh, you know, like there ha- has been, of course, a lot of criticism on the concept of whiteness. Yeah. But, uh, but at the same time, to me, it is important because it draws attention to that racism is also about people who are socially classified as right. white. Yeah. And, you know, it's like similar with gender studies, you know, how gender study needed to get beyond that gender. Only, you know, women had gender. It's right. also, I mean, it is a relationship between right. groups that are categorized as different groups. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. And but, how... Yeah. Okay. No, no, I'm just wondering of your question, you know, how I got into that subject. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I saw actually, you know, when I moved back here, and I think, again, mm-hmm. it was useful having been in the US and having done this research in this year, you know, how even though there was a lot of discussion at that time about nationalism in Iceland Mm -hmm. it was very much speaking against which is of course very important about nationalism as somehow just appearing on its own Mm. you know of nationalism as something in Iceland as something that had been influenced from wider nationalistic discourses in Europe in the 19th century but there was almost no mention of the role of colonialism in mm. generating nationalism in the wider European context. Yeah. So that is the thing that I thought was so necessary to bring forward was how nationalism in general in Europe is also goes hand in hand with racism. You cannot, you know, take that out of the nationalistic discourse at, right. at that time. And and I really felt necessary to to bring that into the discussion yeah, here in Iceland. Definitely. But but since uh, then, you know, it's a complete. And we maybe get back to that later. Mm-hmm. It, it's a completely different situation. Yeah. You know, when I when I was doing this research, I felt um, that a lot of people didn't find it very interesting. Okay. You know, in the academic community. Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah, because one of my yeah. questions is, how was your work received? Yeah. So academically, at the time, it was meaning when you published somewhere? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, you know, like when I publish something, it is not necessarily referred to by Icelandic mm. scholars. Okay. And I wrote, for example, a paper, like my first paper using this kind of perspective criticizing you know or kind of critically looking at how you know Icelandic people uh, positioned themselves uh, in relation to this kind of system of colonialism by using racist discourse uh, 
that I sent it to an Icelandic journal that yeah. was rejected possibly wow. because it was not very good <laughs> I don't know but, but but I still suspect that it was also partly because there was no interest in it that it was also due to that the issue was not seen as really interesting at that yeah. time well do you think that I mean I don't know how much it's changed now yeah. but mm-hmm. the people were even like you said not interest but is it like even seeing it right mm-hmm. because it's, this is something that if you're saying that people aren't really talking about beforehand mm-hmm. and you're bringing it up yeah. and kind of similar and we'll talk about this a little bit later about yeah. the 10 little negro boys book mm-hmm. right it's kind of this idea of some people had of importing yeah, a problem problems, yes. right so do you think this might have possibly yeah. been it's like oh you're making up something yeah i think you know at the time i never heard anyone say that to me i didn't hear any criticism per se of, okay. of my it was more like completely complete lack of interest okay. in in what I was doing. Yeah. Not of course by everyone. Right. I'm not saying it was everyone, but but still kind of uh, enough people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In in general. Right. Yeah. And what about on from the outside world? Was was there any reaction to what you were writing? Yeah. And you know you know, when I was starting doing this I felt like, you know, for example, with a Negro boy republication, I felt like, okay, this is something unique in a sense to Iceland, mm-hmm. you know, some of the things that I saw. And, but then it was very interesting when I started working more with Nordic scholars, all of a sudden it opened my eyes to that a lot of the things that I felt I saw here in Iceland, they were not really very Icelandic. They were mm. just kind of similar to what we see in the other Nordic countries, and also in relation to some other European countries, like for example Belgium mm. and the Netherlands, you know that, and and Switzerland okay. that see themselves somehow as without colonial histories. Right. Yeah. And the interesting thing here is, of course, like in the terms of the Nordic countries, they do have very different histories of colonial engagement, mm-hmm. but. You know, some of them had minimal, like Iceland was not like an influenza player, didn't have uh, colonies or itself. Right. But some of the Nordic countries were quite, you know, strong players mm-hmm. in that field, like like Denmark, for example. Yes. But still you have, you know, very similar discourses going on in the different Nordic countries. And in 2009, I received a, a grant with Lars Jensen at Roskilde University. Okay. He's from Literary Studies and entitled Decoding the Nordic Colonial Mind. And that mm. was, you know, uh, we, we received grant for three seminars so we could bring in people from, you know, different Nordic countries. This is like a Nordic collaboration, so yeah. it had to be Nordic <laughs> people. Uh, and... At these sets of sem- seminars, it was so interesting to hear how similar many of these issues were in the different Nordic countries. Okay. That is fascinating. Um, mainly because it's, you know, like the exceptionalism part, it's in a Nordic exceptionalism exactly. specifically, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but is it because they were importing ideas in order to assimilate as on par with some of these more like stronger nations at the time or nations that were are powerful Mm -hmm. in order to kind of show that they too kind of fit in without actually being accountable i think you know because the nordic countries have such a diverse history 
I think mm-hmm. like, for example, the, the historical pattern that I saw here in Iceland, mm-hmm. that did not necessarily apply to, to Denmark. Yeah. So I'll take that again as an as a example. But at the same time, like today, this kind of complete dismissal mm-hmm. of the Nordic countries' engagement with this colonial past yeah. seems to be a theme in all the Nordic countries. Mm-hmm. And this sense of, of this kind of exceptionalism, racist exceptionalism, is has been very strong. Yeah. Like, like, for example, in Denmark, like you probably know, like the participation of Denmark in the slave mm-hmm. trade and all that, that somehow has been completely erased from, you know, memory in, right. in Denmark. And of course, now for the last 10 or 20 years, this has changed and a lot of positive things happening in bringing that memory back to into the light. Yeah. But I often with my students, I take an example of a Danish series called Matador, okay. which was very popular here in Iceland and extremely popular in Denmark. Okay. And I saw that series a few years back when I was doing this project. Yeah. And to me, it was so striking because it's... It's really a series about the evolution of Danish society mm. from before the Second World War into, you know, the 1970s or 60s. Yeah. There is no mention of colonialism. Wow. It's just like you have this isolated Danish society and then you have the Second World War where you have somehow the the <sighs> the wider, you know, surrounding brought into Denmark. So it was completely invisible. And I think that just tells a lot. Yeah. You know. So it's like literal whitewashing of I, Yes, past. completely. Yeah, yeah, completely. Wow. Without that being the intention, of right. course, of yeah. the authors. Because it's not, it's not really about intentionality. It's, you know, it's these kind of deeper structures of thought mm-hmm. where you learn somehow that this history is not part of your mm-hmm. story. Yeah. Okay. Or even that your history had a way in shaping yeah. how you are, right? Yeah. Because yeah. that's in essence with, with Iceland too. And I think it's fascinating how all of these um, different countries, Nordic countries, I'll just speak specifically to Iceland because mm-hmm. I read your publications, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, just to give you an example of what you're meaning by, you know, racism, but like mm-hmm. publishing things in the paper, right? Yeah. That talk about certain types of people as savage or painting them in a light that is, is very racist. I yeah, mean, there is no yeah. way around it, right? No, no. And there isn't any protest of this. Yes, it's just exactly. like as if it's fact. Yeah, And exactly. you're normally not having people in Iceland, at least maybe in the 1800s or whatever, going to travel to other places. Yeah, so they're just yeah. going on the accounts from individuals that yes, they have yes, referenced, yes, right, yes. in order to form an opinion oh, exactly. about groups of people. And yeah. this is, in essence, kind of the same that present day, I think mm-hmm. you wrote about um, how Muslims are perceived, right? Yeah. So it's like, even if the people have been to countries with these individuals, there's a sentiment growing in Europe and the United States framed around how who Muslims are, as yes, if they're all yes. like this one group of people that act the same, you know, yeah, <laughs> the exactly. same thing and that exactly. they all fit into this box of being yeah. a, a negative stereotype. Yeah. And that, of course, then forms people's opinions before ever interacting with yes, a, pers- a person exactly. who is of this religion, which is another thing. It's like, this is a whole, yeah. it's it's fascinating and it's also heartbreaking yes, because exactly. there's so much that um, influences people when they're seeing it written mm-hmm. because you take it as a fact immediately, yeah. usually, unless you're critical, th- critically thinking at, of, about it then. 
but then you're um, starting to display behaviors mm-hmm. almost that feel innate to you mm-hmm. because of how the rhetoric has been framed. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, you know, with with Iceland in the past, like you're saying, you know, it's not, not only uh, kind of like official representation in the colonial project. Yeah. It's these uh, images that were being not only reproduced here in Iceland, but also Icelandic authors writing, you know, mm-hmm. racist, using racist words, using racist imaginary, but also, you know, just kind of uh, writing about non-white people as they were different kind of people, mm-hmm. needing different things, different mentality. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, also, I mean, Icelandic people migrated to the to the U.S. So they participated also in settler colonialism, right. using yeah. their privileges as, you know, Europeans and, and white Europeans. Yep. So that history has also just recently been kind of ex- excavated from yeah. the past to look yeah. at it in, in that light. It's fascinating. In your publication, is there something else you wanted to no, say? No, no, okay. I think it is. Yeah. Okay. In your publication titled The Exotic North, mm-hmm. Gender, Nation Branding, and Postcolonialism in Iceland, <laughs> you write about how Iceland historically has taken a gendered approach to advertising the country, yeah. which this mm-hmm. one was like, oh, this is so fascinating, right? Because now we're, mm-hmm. of course, yeah, we're talking about racism, but in a context of gender too, yeah. all of this fits together in ways that I would have never thought mm-hmm. about. And I work in marketing in Iceland. Yeah. And specifically I've been helping to market Iceland as a destination. Oh, really? Yeah. That so so yeah. this like for me was like, oh wow. Yeah. I definitely am guilty of this, mm-hmm. you know, the words we use for Iceland. Now not so much, I've never used exotic because uh, I always think of exotic as, as a different thing, but uh-huh. but still pristine, untouched, mm-hmm. authentic. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like and yeah remote and in a sense right Uh because there's so much space here and you can kind of be alone and it's far away but close enough for you to be able to get to right Mm -hmm. and most of the time we think of places like that like greenland for instance or certain countries where um there are what are labeled as indigenous people there yeah and those are the same labels that get used so it's like iceland Mm -hmm. is in essence benefiting yeah from this uh these labels that are normally associated with areas where indigenous people live, but at the same time kind of excluding themselves as being a part of that group. Right. (laughs) And like, and then the gender part on top of it. So like if you were mentioning uh, in advertisements where you have normally white women's bodies, like Icelandic women's bodies and, uh, they're used to be associated with nature, mm-hmm. right? And then you have, like, Viking businessmen, right? Yeah, so it's just yeah. this very, like, <laughs> strong, you know, men with beautiful women who are objectified for the mm-hmm. reason of getting people to come to the country in yeah. order to potentially, you know, be with Icelandic women and experience things the Viking way, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. this kind of, like, idea. <laughs> so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that yeah. and how that's been playing also into the psyche of maybe Icelanders too and, and how people perceive the yeah. country. I think that's a very good question, and, and it's a very big question. You know, it is interesting because I mentioned the colonial exhibition before. There also you had this gender element mm-hmm. because a lot of the students, they were men, and they mentioned you know, as the highest form of disgrace to Iceland was that women in the national costume would be on display with these savages, quote-unquote. So you definitely also have the gender dimension there working along with the racism. But, But in terms of promoting Iceland, 
women's bodies have been used very extensively and this is something that I want to stress that a lot of feminists in Iceland protested to them mm -hmm. at that time so mm -hmm. it's not like it had, has been uh, you know gone unnoticed right. not at all or accepted by yeah, everybody or accepted. Yeah. yeah exactly and but what I think is interesting is that after 2010 when this huge campaign starts mm -hmm. trying to promote Iceland as a tourist destination we have this new element mm -hmm. of the isolated and exotic Iceland mm -hmm. you know so so my argument has been or suspicion has been that Iceland is very strongly promoted as a place where you can almost play out your racist fantasies mm. without you know not on people that have been you know racialized like like you could not really I think in Greenland this would some of the things that Iceland is being promoted by like like this exotic stamp you it wouldn't work there because yeah. of history of you know colonialism that took different path than, than here in, in Iceland but but again like I said at the beginning I think it is interesting to to remember here that Iceland was not seen as a interesting destination right, yeah. you know like when I was in the states you know you said you were from Iceland people had no interest in it no interest at all <laughs> now you say you tell people that you're from Iceland, you feel a little bit... Like a celebrity. Like a celebrity, yeah. exactly. And when I've been traveling around Europe in ter relation to my research, even other scholars, they say, oh my God, Iceland, it's so wonderful. You know, you have all this gender equality, people yeah. protesting, you know, this very strong myth about what Iceland is. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it has to do with this campaign of the Icelandic government and, and interested uh, parties, uh, commercial parties, but part of it also had to do with the image that was projected after the crash of Iceland mm. in the international media. You know, and I think there also Iceland's kind of a little bit far away, kind of on the margins of Europe, like I like to call it, you know, makes it somehow more flexible to project all kind of issues on. And, yeah. and, and at that time, after the crash, there was this kind of desire for success stories of protest, of people changing, you know, mm -hmm. how things worked out after the economic crash. So Iceland was maybe a perfect candidate yeah. for that. And I think these worked really well together. And I think if Iceland had been promoted in this way, like in the 2000, it wouldn't have had the same salience yeah. as it had after 2008. And also for Icelandic people, because they were still then in that phase, you know, mm -hmm. that you see in the early 20th century of trying to distance themselves. You know, we are, you know, like a progressive mm -hmm. European country. But, but, but after... 2010, like you're saying, I think a lot of Icelanders, they kind of observe these images and reenact them. Yeah. Uh, so it is kind of interesting interplay uh, between these. Definitely. And, yeah. it's, and it's still playing out now, right? Because we have this COVID situation, yeah. which frames yes. things in a total, it's a totally different yeah. 
problem, yeah. <laughs> I'll say, um, economically and socially mm-hmm. and everything else. Yeah. And Iceland, again, being in this privileged position of kind of in between, right? Exactly. So it's, it's Europe, but I love when people say I'm, I'm going to Iceland, but they don't, they don't always consider it Europe. Yeah. Which yeah. is so fascinating to me. Yes. Um, which is, you know, it's fine if they would like to kind of exclude mm-hmm. it, but it, I've never understood why. Yeah. And maybe this is kind of parts of it, right? It's yeah. like it's its own yeah. thing. Yeah own nation uh-huh. at the same time part of something greater even yeah. though it can exclude itself from being part of the greater when it doesn't fit well yes, right exactly. or it, it doesn't like shine a good light <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> whereas now though with covid there has been such praise for iceland and how yeah. things have been handled yeah. and um for instance there's a turn in like where people want to visit mm-hmm. and so now in the media in like bloomberg and all these different places they're putting out like why you should be going to iceland yes. whereas people had been going away from wanting to go to iceland because it become increasingly more expensive yeah. whatever else so yeah. it's, but now it's like wouldn't you rather pay more to yeah. go to this exceptional yes. place that yeah. is you know you'll be free from the virus yes. or something like that right yes. so it all kind of fits into reiterating this um, these images that you were talking about, right? Yeah. And it is a white majority uh, country. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say from my experience on YouTube, because there's like some trolls and I've talked about being, like my yeah. experience being black in Iceland. Yeah. And I've often gotten people saying like, I should go back to Africa and yeah. I should, mm-hmm. you know, leave this country. It's for white people and stuff like that, right? This yeah. idea that like yes, Iceland exactly. is only for a certain yeah. person that looks a certain way. Yeah. And that's pretty much it, right? Yeah. Like, I shouldn't spoil it, in essence, yeah. right? And that's yeah. kind of what it is. It's this unspoiled land. Yes. Exactly. So I, I think this is yeah. replaying itself, yeah. right? I, I completely <laughs> agree. Yeah. And and I think, you know, like, with this campaign, again, it's not a matter of intentionality, mm-hmm. but the way that Iceland has been branded right. is very strongly as a white country, as a country where white people live, where, you know, there has been no migration, yeah. they've been isolated right. and all that. And it really plays into exactly, I mean, we have now such a big population of Icelandic people who are not yeah. socially classified as white. Exactly. And, and, and they experience also, you know, this kind of constant harassment of always having to justify, mm-hmm. you know, being Icelandic yes. and not being, you know, super white or, or whatever. Right, exactly. Both, you know, not only by people who are also Icelandic, but also by uh, tourists and, and and foreigners uh, living here. Yeah. So so it is really kind of uh, unfortunate yeah. that this is not critically thought about more. Right, exactly. And, and yeah... And I think, you know, just this campaign, it's so huge that to me it is interesting how how little criticism has been kind of invited by the government of this campaign. I think it should really, they should be celebrating, yeah. you know, people criticizing and looking into, okay, how can we do this better? This is not like the image of Iceland we want to be advocating. Right. Uh, and there have been little snippets of it. So like for the, I don't know if you saw the Kranavat um campaign or, yeah yeah i saw that yeah exactly. so and and i believe yeah. the guy in that video i think his name is, is george um he, mm-hmm. i think he's originally was from brazil but he's yeah. been living in iceland yeah. for a very yeah. long time yeah. he speaks icelandic yeah. And, yeah. and it was very nice change to exactly. see a di- i was like oh okay this yeah. i'm happy that there's diversity because this person um like many others mm-hmm. is a part of icelandic society exactly. right and for yeah. us to uh 
also feed into and or mm-hmm. I guess allow that Iceland only looks a certain way. Like with the gendered thing, I mean, yeah. there's multi layers within gender too, right? Exactly. And to own, to first of all use a woman's body to mm-hmm. campaign, for, yeah. you know, to like brand a, a country and its nature and how pristine and amazing exactly. it is, or to use like you know um, uh, what you think is funny to say, come and have a one night stand with yeah, my yeah, sonic yeah. woman, exactly. right? Just yeah. like really sexist, yes, exactly. and inappropriate. Um, yeah messaging to people which has still persisted as a thing i mean there was even once a joke article about the government paying foreigners to marry icelandic women or something for like five thousand dollars something really ridiculous like this yeah and even though it was a joke there were a lot of people sending in questions being like is that true yeah am i could i yeah they could believe actually that it was yeah (gasps) and it's just so disgusting right (laughs) like at the same time to think that like yeah you're being um women are being just minimize to the fact that they exactly. are attractive and white too, yeah. right? So this yes. is like some status thing yes. as well. So, yes. yeah. but but I think you know with that at the water at when did it appear? Is it like one year ago or two years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean then so. this campaign had been running for a very long yeah. time, and I was myself coming I think from the US when I saw it for the first time, and I was very pleased to to see it. And I thought, okay, so maybe my criticism and, and other people's criticism has actually reached their ears yeah. or they just looked at their own ads and saw, you know, what was going on. But at the same time, I thought, okay, is this just like a token? Okay, yeah. now we have put a exactly. black person into <laughs> our campaign. Yeah. And then, you know, at the same, you know, a few days later, I looked at this at the webpage and I clicked a video that had recently been made uh, you know, like a, a song, like difficult. Oh, yeah, A to yeah. Uh, the, yeah, 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 exactly. The A to uh, and, song, yeah. you know, I didn't see at first glance there any person who was not, you know, hyper white or what, yeah. whatever. So, yeah. yeah, so hopefully, I mean, I think you really have to play it out. It's not enough. Yeah, I mean, it's like with women. It's not right. enough just to add one woman. You have to really think critically about, okay, what kind of broader message am I conveying? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to jump into the the book. Yeah. Because I think this is such an important topic that was so surprising to me. (laughs) Because, again, like I said, I I didn't want in some ways, it's almost like I didn't want to know. And then when I found out, it was like, I have on a pair of glasses now that I can't take off. I have vision about something or insight into something that I can't not know. And it's important to expand upon this. Yeah. So the book... um, the Little Negro Boys, is that yeah. what it's called? Yeah. yeah. Um, which displays little black boys that are drawn as mm-hmm. these racic, racist caricatures mm-hmm. of almost looking like apes, I think, right? Yeah. And having like yeah. big red yeah. lips and yeah. yeah. Which were, um, so the artist, is it Mukur? Mukur, yeah. yeah. Who did this, had been spent time in the United States mm-hmm. when it was popular to kind of have these caricatures. Yes, exactly. And so his inspiration was not too far fetched, right? No, <laughs> he didn't have to no, look too far no. to, to like to, to have the connection between where he got this from. Yeah. Um and then, you know, using them to create this book. Yeah. Uh but also on top of that, on top of these these caricatures, the little black boys are being killed in yeah. the book. So yeah. it's like a, a rhyme for counting. Yeah. But it's pretty brutal. It is very brutal. Um, yeah. But this was published in 1922. Yeah. And it, in essence, became, I guess, quite popular. And it was in a lot of people's homes. Mm-hmm. And I've had people, before ever knowing about 
really what this was. I, I remember someone mentioning to me they had a book as a kid. And this is a couple of years yeah. ago. Yeah. And that they loved this book. And it was of these little boys, these yeah. little black boys. But they never went more into it, right? Yeah. And I just, I remember having this uh, memory I remember having this interaction, like a memory came back to me and I was like, oh, wow, this is the book they were talking about. Like they yeah. never went into like, no, no, by no, the no. way, they're like yeah. choking to death or, be, yeah. you know, like, all these things are really terrible. Yeah, <laughs> right? Exactly. But um, anyway, so this was, was published in 1922 and then was set to be republished in 2007. Yeah. But a hot debate was uh, fueled by a, I think it was a mother who yes. wrote yes. in saying she was concerned that mixed children in Iceland or children who are of color mm-hmm. would be bullied because of this book, yeah. right? And yeah. kind of the image and um, idea it's giving off. Yeah. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts about the situation are as you saw how some Icelanders were defending it, yes. while some were in agreement that it should not be republished, mm-hmm. but not necessarily that it's racist. Yeah, yeah. So to me, when this debate, you know, started in 2007 you know i've been looking at the images of africa and of course racism it is a difficult subject to to investigate because people do generally not see themselves as, as racist you mm-hmm. cannot ask someone you know it you know this is a whole methodological issue but but in that debate it was so interesting because you really saw all those things coming to the surface, this idea of Icelandic exceptionalism and, and this uh, image, for example, of Mukur, this artist yeah. who, who take, it's a nursery rhyme that uh, originates in the US mm-hmm. and has been published in other Nordic countries as well and all over the world. And he takes this book to, to make this children's book and 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 I found out like you're saying that he had actually been to the US and I thought that was very interesting because the assumption in Iceland was always how could he have known mm. that these images were racist I mean so he he's was innocent in all of this yes he was just drawing you know a funny interesting children's book mm-hmm. but of course you know if you compare the images to uh, character of black people in the US it's very clear where these images are coming from and even more so if you compare it to other uh, you know visual representations that he has uh, made you know there is this book called Dimmalim you probably heard about that Mm. living in Iceland Mm -hmm. it's it's about this little princess and and a swan that book it's completely different visual representation of this you know white girl right much more similar to his own style of drawing, in, in, in my view. So, so he was very much connected to, you know, Iceland innocent, particular time period of Iceland when it's, you know, starting really to kind of gain uh, confidence on an international area. And, and again, you know, the fact that many people had this book as children, you know, before my generation, it's right. that old. Right. And... Uh, so, you know, there was a debate, especially in the media, about this. And and to me, all these issues popped up. You know, Iceland doesn't have anything to do with racism. Mm-hmm. People don't mean it that way. They don't mean it as a racism. If you are, you know, pointing out that this book is a, a racism, you're just stimulating racism. You're mm-hmm. just creating it. There is nothing wrong with the images or the rhyme. It is just... 
you know, you who are creating the problem. Yeah. And also, you're the racist. Yeah, you are the racist. That, I mean, people exactly. actually said that. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and to me, it was also interesting just, you know, going to pick up my kids at that time at the kindergarten. People were debating this yeah. in the hallway. So it was wow. really kind of, you know, you know, like the first, uh, I think, you know, a, you know, like a very debate that almost everyone were engaged in or kind of very str- big part of the society. Right. Yeah. But very few people who were either black Icelanders or, you know, non-Icelanders living here mm-hmm. engaged in that debate. There were some people, definitely, but most of the voices that you could hear at that time were people, white Icelanders yeah. or native white Icelanders. Do you think that... Because I don't know how often Black Icelanders feel that they can speak up or that yeah. they have a voice in this yeah. discussion. Yeah. Because I, I had a conversation with a friend mm-hmm. about uh, a guy who had experienced some racism but didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in essence, I thought, you know, my first reaction was, well, he's born and raised here. Mm-hmm. He has a family. And, of course, looks different. And so almost sometimes if you talk about it and acknowledge it, it brings forth for yourself that you're different. Yeah, exactly. And that yeah. you're not the, you know, mm-hmm. Icelander that everyone's expecting. Mm-hmm. And so does that really make you Icelandic enough? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think this might be what is is part of the debate now yeah. for a lot of people. Is yeah. that, yeah. you know, if you're assuming that Icelandic people can only be white, yeah. then am I really Icelandic? You know, yeah. even though you... Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you mm-hmm. Do consider yourself to be yes. right, but if you're if the people of your country don't, yes. <laughs> uh, not saying as a majority of people feel this mm-hmm. way because obviously there are Icelanders who do not feel this way yeah. and do accept mm-hmm. you know uh, others yeah. as being Icelandic regardless if the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. But um, and you know this like kind of brought questions for me because I, I don't have any children and Gunnar and I were like, well, if we did have children, would our kids be considered Icelandic? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for me, I don't, I don't care if I never am considered Icelandic because that I associate yeah, yeah, so much exactly. with New York, right? Yes, exactly. But for a person who's born and raised here, yeah. like I would consider my kid to be Icelandic, yeah, because that would be their mm-hmm. their base, right? Yeah. Their the culture they're in and, and how they're growing up and everything. So I find that mm-hmm. kind of interesting that you say like the the voices mm-hmm. from those people weren't present, yeah, because maybe they didn't feel entitled to mm-hmm. have. Uh, an opinion, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, like, you know, the whiteness part. So I'm just wondering, yeah. like, is that really playing into why mm-hmm. these people felt entitled to talk about whether or not race even exists here and yeah. leaving out these other people? I think partly it was due to, like, for people who are non-Icelandic, it was a very harsh debate. Mm. I must say, I was sometimes just exhausted. Yeah. You know, like, when I was, t- I took interviews, like a focus group interviews, and sometimes I came out of the interviews thinking, is there something wrong with me? Mm. You know, it wow. was just, you know, of course, knowing that right. it was not the case, but still kind of, like, really kind of f- frustrated. Mm-hmm. So, so especially in the beginning, it was very kind of, you know, and this is, of course, we have now seen many very fierce debates over the internet. But right. I think at that time, people were maybe not as accustomed to it. And then another factor is that we have today much larger number of mixed children in Iceland. Right. So, and that is, of course, it's a completely different group, like you're saying. You know, these are people who are Icelandic. Right. They're not 
coming here having lived here for a few years right. so to them it, it is part of their identity mm. it is part of who they are and one of the really positive things that I have seen in the last few months is exactly how many of these people often you know young people are you know claiming that space right. and kind of reminding okay I'm Icelandic too right. you know this is something and this is my experience right exactly but uh, I had an excellent uh, master student, Sanna Magdalena Mörtudóttir. Yeah, I knew who, that is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and in her uh, study on uh, the experience of, of mixed uh, Icelandic uh, children or youngsters, many of them did not necessarily feel rejected as being Icelandic. Mm-hmm. It was more the issue of always having to explain mm-hmm. your existence. Why you look different. Yes, yeah, why yeah. you look different, yeah. exactly. And, you know, one question is maybe innocent, but when you constantly have to be justifying, mm-hmm. and of course also experiencing racism on top of that. Right. Yeah. But but it was not necessarily always that people felt that they were not seen as Icelandic if you had, yeah. you know, justified your yeah, existence. Yeah, you've proven that you are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that is so fascinating yeah. to me. Okay. Yeah. But I think with that debate, you know, if this book was republished today, I think people would see it differently. Yeah. Would see it differently, or sure. I hope so. Yeah, I'd hope so too. In this yeah. climate, too, a lot yeah. is happening. Yeah. I mean, even for me, the candy company Sambo, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That is so. <laughs> when I first saw that packaging, I didn't because it has the accent on the O. Yeah. So I was like, no, it yeah. can't be associated with racism right like i just didn't want to believe it because first of all it's a candy that a lot of people love or or they make candy Mm -hmm. that a lot of people love so and i just yeah you 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 find yourself justifying a lot of things yeah until i just decide to ask and come to find out lo and behold (laughs) like it is very much (laughs) based on that yeah so i think also too like kind of these remnants of like racist history yeah that still live on today, but in essence get kind of washed, whitewashed, yeah, right? Because yeah, yeah. it's like, no, we're not racist. Yeah. We're just using this term because we don't, we've never, like, I've never called somebody that, right? Maybe yeah, this exactly. could be someone's excuse. Yeah. So it's like, I don't mean it that way. Yeah. It's more of like an endearing yeah. thing. Yeah. When in reality, it's like, it's very derogatory and this is, it, it hurts people's feelings. So yes. why continue on with this legacy? Yeah. Right? So it's exactly. like, how do you feel like that, types of things those types of things should be dealt with like meaning like what are the actions if any people should be taking or thinking critically about because it, maybe it's literally right in front of you right yeah. but you're yeah. kind of blinded to it because it's just been a part of your life this whole time yeah and i think you know the first step is exactly to recognize this is a part of racism and this is a part you know of racist legacies but again, I think maybe now there is the space of asking this. I was once asked to comment on this name. Yeah. And I could just see that a lot of people, you know, like, seem to react like, oh, here she goes. <laughs> but, but I thought it was interesting. For example, I was uh, with my daughter the other day, who was 14, and we were passing the candy stand. Yeah. And all of a sudden she stopped and she pointed. Mm-hmm. At that label. Yeah. And she said, Mom, is this actually what I think it is? So all of a sudden she kind of, of course she hears a lot about racism, but it could still have been some 
other child. Right. Yeah. You know, and and I I I thought okay, this is I was very happy to see that that she would recognize it on her own that right. this was completely unacceptable. Right. And she exactly asked, you know, why do they want to have that label yeah. on the product? Why? Or why yeah. is it allowed that they continue to... Because if with enough pressure, honestly, they would yeah. be like, okay, well, we have to change it. If people say, I'm not going to buy your candy. Yes, yes. Right? And I'm not trying to start anything. No. But it's at the same time, it's more yeah. of like action yeah. is what gets other people to yes. take some... To mm-hmm. Make change. Yes. Exactly. A lot of the times. Like what's happening in the US, right? Yeah. Like a lot of... Um, and with Martin Luther King, for instance, like mm-hmm. the whole idea is like you can't just talk about how bad it is, but you no. actually have to do something. Yeah. And economically, a lot of the times you have to impact a person because yeah. it's a company. I mean, that's what they care about. Bottom line, yeah. it hasn't affected their bottom line enough for it yeah. to matter. Yeah. So it's just those types of things are, exactly. are always what I think about now because yeah. I realize that, you know, I would love for it to change, but hoping for it to change is really not going to do no, anything. No, 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 exactly. <laughs> so. and, and, and that is quite true. Like you're saying, in the U.S., I mean, some of these companies are not changing their brand names because yeah. they want to be anti-racist. Some of them are doing it just because they are trying to, you know, avoid, uh, you know, some kind of economic consequences yeah. from continuing using these exactly. labels. Redskins, for instance. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. it's just, And that's persisted for years. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's, a, it's one of those things where it feels like at times, like, why are we even debating this? Yeah. Right? But yeah. again, it's everyone's at a different stage and understanding uh-huh. and also awareness level, right? Yeah. It's like if you don't want to see it as that, yeah. then you'll continuously justify yeah. why it isn't yeah. if you feel strongly enough yeah. about what, yeah. you know, this image is. But I think one of the positive things, again, I'm afraid I'm being too optimistic, but you, sometimes you just <laughs> have to be that. is necessary. Yeah, so. it is necessary. But I have felt, because like here in Iceland, I think you engage with people from so many different directions. Mm-hmm. In the US, if you are a professor at a university, you generally engage with people who are within that community, Right. I think. You just correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. But I have felt so many people really that in the past I would uh, have kind of not be surprised using these kind of vocabulary that we are criticizing where I have seen them, you know, post comments on Facebook or what, whatever saying like, wow, this really opened my eyes, Yeah, you know. Yeah. And I've been reading these stories about these mixed Icelandic children or, or black Icelandic children, and I really didn't realize that this is how it was. Yeah. So, so I agree. to me, that is really... Yeah. So maybe with the Francis labels, like sample, maybe you have also that part of the population, mm-hmm. you know, who before you know, not necessarily wanting to be show hateful action, but still we're using these hateful labels or displaying particular kind of behavior. Maybe they have realized there is nothing innocent about any of this. This is uh, something completely different that people are. Absolutely. And I agree with you. Um, It is, it has been a pleasant surprise. Even the gathering, for instance, was such a pleasant surprise. The amount of people that came out and listened and, and were learning so much. And this is, Black Icelanders as well as Mm -hmm. Icelanders that are white, right? Like just the mix of everybody and then people who are foreigners Mm -hmm. or or foreign origin, I should say, who live uh, in Iceland because 
the Black American experience is so different than yeah. the Black mm-hmm. experience in Iceland. Yeah, and that's I mean I can I'm, I'm I'm very much you know influenced by being a Black American. Yeah, but I had to when I came to Iceland mm-hmm. unpack a lot of that yeah. and and stop putting my idea of what it's like to be a Black American as if it were going to be the same here in Iceland. Because there's yeah. a lot of things that, for instance, Icelanders who are of color didn't learn yeah. or don't didn't really know about the U.S., Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So that's been fascinating to me because yeah. I follow a couple of people on Instagram and I was like, oh, and they're like posting about things that like they're horrified by, you know, it's yeah. like because your experience as yeah. a person of color, you go, oh, well, other people must know, right? Yeah, like, exactly. And, and same thing with Iceland. You just expect that people must know, but yeah, giving kind of the space for that yeah, yeah, and yeah. being accepting of the fact that like people do care if they are educated a lot of the times yes, yes um and if it's you know a positive space in which we're mm-hmm. exchanging stories and we're yeah. not just like yeah. preaching or yeah. you know lecturing and i think here you know the line is not completely straight because like i saw with a negro boy book mm-hmm. people defended it saying that it was not racism and these images were not racist people that i know have participated in anti-racist demonstration mm, you know so in one and this is of course that has also been shown not only in iceland but also people can participate in particular particular kind of anti-racist demonstrations or whatever mm-hmm. but still in other context they can separate it out yeah, of, yeah yeah so i think this has to do with this kind of image of you know, when people were defending the republication of that book in 2007, I think they were very strongly defending a particular image of Iceland yes. in the past and of their own childhood memories. You exactly. Know, I read that book. I didn't become racist. Right. You know, that kind of argument. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which kind of fits into my next question, mm-hmm. which as multiculturalism, multiculturalism in Iceland increases, yeah. uh, talks about the effect on Icelandic culture come up, right? Yeah. So how Icelandic mm-hmm. culture is changing yeah. or might be affected yeah. negatively, positively, whichever. Do you think that some of the concerns have to do with how the view of Iceland by the outside world mm-hmm. might shift mm-hmm. to maybe less favorable or more more favorable? It kind of just depends, right? Mm-hmm. Um because Iceland's whiteness is changing. Mm-hmm. Right, so. I don't know. I think in some ways, uh, I felt the discussion on the effects of multiculturalism on Iceland was much more in the years before the crash. Mm, okay. You know, like this kind of poli- polluting mm, okay. discussion. So I think very often people... You know, in one context, they say and think particular things. Like people celebrate this campaign inspired by Iceland. Mm -hmm. They do not necessarily think critically about the image of Iceland as this white, pure space. But then in other context, they can celebrate multicultural Icelandic society. There are all these kind of inconsistencies. And I feel even though you have a section of Icelandic society that is speaking about, you know, like the threat of Muslims mm-hmm. as a one, you know, dangerous body, right. uh, you still have, in my, you know, my feeling is that there is not a strong discussion kind of overall in Iceland of, you know, multiculturalism as something threatening to yeah. Iceland. Yeah. But of course that can shift very easily and and hopefully it will not 
that yeah. will not happen. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, yeah. I like you, like when I'm yeah. reading different articles, it's mostly been how important it is to be open to multiculturalism, but yeah. also like the people that are here, how do we celebrate their culture and what they're bringing yeah. that is advan- advantageous to Iceland. And then also, yeah. you know, including the Icelandic culture in that. So we yeah, have yeah, this yeah. healthy mm-hmm. mix and balance, right? Exactly. Uh, even just so recently, there's um, an announcement about a strategy to help people of foreign origin to uh, assimilate more into and participate more in Icelandic mm-hmm. society. Yeah. Because there is like, when you, when you come, it's like understanding about, uh, government, business, exactly. like even how to start a business, how like legal help, all these things feel yeah. so outside of your realm because if you don't speak the language, you know, how do you find it? Exactly. How, where, where do you get the information from, yes. right? Yes. So just having those types of resources available yeah. so that you can participate in society as a exactly. full individual yeah. is so important. And I think exactly the term here is to participate because that is something that is necessary is that people have exactly the means to be able to participate fully and very often you know like in the past when people are criticizing particular groups for not assimilating Mm -hmm. you know they're really talking you know like for example not learning Icelandic but research has shown for a very long time that a lot of the precarious people who work here you know work you know in in this you know Jobs, you know, for, for example, who came from Lithuania and Poland, they really wanted to learn Icelandic, but there was, you know, the the courses were too expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, there were all kind of structural things standing in the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're which, also coming as an adult yeah, to a place and, uh, where you work full time, exactly. right? So I've been like, I've been studying Icelandic for quite some time, mm-hmm. and granted. It's much better now than obviously when I started. But when I started, I mean, I I, literally the day after I got off the plane, I started working. Yeah. Right. So my experience in Iceland has been as a working adult, not as a person who is dedicated a year or two to to being in university and studying Icelandic. Right. And that's not an opportunity that everybody has. Yeah. So it's also a different ramp up period for everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, depending on their situation of how they can learn language, the opportunities that they have to do at the time they have allotted to do it. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we still see that uh, discussion surfacing, you know, okay, these foreigners, quote unquote, don't want to be learning Icelandic, even though research has shown over and over again that this is not, you know, you cannot really state that it's just too simplistic and doesn't really take, you know, like these things into consideration. so, so the so I think the discussion has to be how can we make it possible for everyone to participate and and again, you know, not you know people come with different background, they come with different, you know, and and also, I think it is healthy to think about okay, so what is Icelandic culture? It doesn't mm-hmm. mean the same thing for everyone who right. lives here, obviously, right. yeah. and and the way that we are always kind of reinventing. The past, you know, yeah. is important. Exactly. Well. I was reading, I think it was uh, from you actually, about like, from certainly your Eastern European countries, like mm-hmm. say Polish people. Yeah. Um, and kind of the struggle they've had, yeah. even mm-hmm. though they're the largest Im- immigrant group yeah. in Iceland. Yeah. But there's still this kind of us and them, I think, sometimes that yeah. comes across. And I've, I've seen it from um, interacting with different people or hearing, you know, and passing mm-hmm. people say things. And it's yeah. just like, that's odd. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, meaning like there's this, um, 
I don't know if it's a classist issue or just mm-hmm. painting a certain group like with Muslims or painting yeah. them a certain mm-hmm. way, po- painting Polish yeah. people a certain way, uh, and then applying that to a Polish person that you meet who lives in Iceland, yeah. right, as as maybe being part of something negative. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, it, do you see that shifting at all and, like, how people are, are treating yeah. these, yeah. you know, I think, different you East know, European countries? One, before the economic crash, you had lot of prejudice against people from Poland mm. and also especially from Lithuania mm. which were always um, you know there were a lot of news reports in 2006 and seven about crime mm-hmm. you know that was conducted by few individuals from Lithuania yeah. and I took in, in one project that I did uh, Icelandic identity in crisis I took interviews with people from Poland and uh, no, no, mostly people from Lithuania, even right. though there are a few Polish, but there are other people who have, you know, explored right. uh, uh, that angle. But and to me, it was really shocking to see how strongly they were ra- racialized, and wow. the same with people from Poland at yeah. that time. And and at the same time, I was actually taking uh, interviews with people from different African countries. And it was interesting just to kind of be taking those interviews at the same time where people from different African countries, they did not experience, at least not those I talked to, mm-hmm. as much hateful remarks mm-hmm. as those coming as part of precarious my, uh, labor right. force. But most of the people from different African countries, they came due to Icelandic spouse, they right. came as exchange students, they came on a completely different they were seen, they were racialized more as exotic and, mm-hmm. and interesting, even though, of course, some of them also experienced, yeah. you know, hateful uh, forms of, of racism. So, uh, but I think with uh, people from Poland and Lithuania, I think that has, we also have positive representations, much more than, you know, 2006 and seven. you often saw something in the media and you were just like, oh, mm. And, but of course, then you see also the issue of class playing out right. like with that horrible fire uh, fire that took place. And, and and this is something you think, you know, about structural inequalities and what is being done by whom, when is something seen as, you know, just you don't, the government doesn't do anything, right? you know, about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that was very eye-opening for yeah. me. Yeah. And, um hearing also accounts from some people. So I don't know if you know Alta Sigmundsdottir. Yeah. She's an author, in mm-hmm. Iceland, an Icelandic author. And she was mentioning that her friend of hers lived in that house some years ago. Yeah. And had complained about how... And she yeah. had children and she had complained about how there was no escape yeah. for like a, if there was a fire and she yeah. had bought her own like stairs or something. Yeah. Um, And it's just, you know, then finding out too that this house and um, these agencies had been... Featured in like Quaker, I think, yeah. and Stuntin about yeah, like exactly. you know yeah. because they had been violating so yeah. many like <laughs> yeah, rules, exactly. yeah, and and treating their mm-hmm. um, the people that they were getting to recruiting to come to work from abroad and exploiting yeah. them and kind of a a form of human trafficking in a yes, sense, right? Exactly. And that was surprising to me. And this is a story just for everyone. This has happened very recently, mm-hmm. and I talked about it on my Instagram stories. I do like a news roundup every Sunday, and yeah, it was just like what. 
what yeah. is going on? And the fact that these three people lost their lives yeah. because they were been put in a house that was not equipped for if there had been a fire to be able to escape or yeah. even to deal with the fire. Yeah. And then I think there had been changes to the layout of the house that mm-hmm. made it even more difficult to have escaped, right? Yeah. So it's just, yeah. it was just, it was set up for a disaster yeah, exactly. in essence. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like there are more, like there are talks now, like committees, uh, a committee in uh, parliament. Yeah. But it's like, why does it have to take the death of three people mm-hmm. for this to be a thing, right? It's like, yes. it's in a way, yes. good way, in a way, it's like, okay, it's good we're talking about it. But these people unnecessarily lost their lives. Yes, yes. So. And and again, I think exactly the issue here is that it's not like this is just something that happened that right. no one could have foreseen. It. Right. This could have been foreseen. This, this had been, been yeah, in essence, yeah, foreseen, yeah. right? Like it yes. had been reported on and no one did yes. anything. Yes, yes. And and there have been reports done and, and scholars talking about, you know, the, just the housing in general right. of people who are part of this precarious workforce. Why is nothing being done, you know? Yeah. And then you feel, okay, so these are lives that are, are they less significant right. than other people's lives? And yeah. this is, of course, issue of structural racism. Yeah. And the fact that their job, their house is tied to their, their employment. Yeah. Yeah. So if you complain about your housing, you could lose your job and yeah. lose your staff. You know, like yeah. there's so much that's wrong here. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and but but I think here in Iceland, this is a reality that started in the boom period. Yeah. So at that time, it was a new reality, and I think at that time, people were often there were news stories about the horrible conditions that foreign workers were living mm-hmm. under and and all kind of breaking of labor law. Yeah. And I think at that time, people were horrified. By it, but now it's not a new situation. Now yeah. it's been going on for, you know, quite some time, and but still, you know, something like this can yeah. happen. Exactly, and I and I don't know how, if it's talked about as much in Icelandic, um, meaning like written in Icelandic, but mm-hmm. in English, there are there's a group on Facebook about being scammed in Iceland, so you yeah. could join that mm-hmm. if you work in Iceland as a foreign worker to hear other people's stories who have experienced being exploited. And it can be, you know, they could be Polish, they could be German Mm -hmm. who worked on a horse farm and was never paid or something like that, right? There's all these different, um, I guess, experiences that foreigners end up having that range so much from being extraordinarily positive to being like, this was the worst place I've ever been, you know, just because of how the situation was set up. Exactly. And that I think too is just shines a light on Iceland being a place that has flaws like everywhere else, you know, and it's unfortunate. And there are people who were nasty and Mm -hmm. um, unjust and don't really take into account human life. They just want their bottom line to be, you know, the most important priority for them. Yeah. So yeah, that's, it, again, right? It's just like drawing back the curtain. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of it's really tough work. But but I think the question is uh, here is why should Iceland really be different? You know? Right? Yeah, it is that's part a good of point. Europe. It yeah. is part of you know the global south where we have particular kind of global inequalities. So yeah, I I wish it was very yeah. different. But 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 of course also the smallness of the society mm-hmm. in some sense maybe creates more space, like you were talking about solidarity mm-hmm. in after the uh, after the protest at uh, Öster in front of the parliament. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so I, sometimes I think, you know, like in terms of uh, when the refugee issue was very much mm-hmm. in the media here, yeah. you know, I felt so much solidarity around all kind of people. Yes. You know, with that issue, 
uh, and I think some of it had to do with the closeness that uh, their kids had classmates yeah. who had parents who were, you know, asylum seekers, you know, things humanizing like Humanizing yeah, people. Humanizing. Yeah, Because yeah. in exactly. essence, people start to think of refugees as just those taking advantage. Like you forget that these are people fleeing exactly. from traumatic experiences, yes. war, death, yeah. Yeah. you know, hunger, yeah. all these things. And yeah. um, because of even how it's been polarized yeah. in mainland Europe, yeah. especially as like being like overrunning different countries and like, mm-hmm. you know, super exaggerated a lot of the times. Yeah. And I can't speak for every other country, of course. Um, but in Iceland, it's like, it's definitely not overrun <laughs> with, no, with, with refugees. No. If anything, it's like, there are more of them that are turned away. Yeah. So that too, I think is a, an important discussion yeah. of like, yeah. why are we less inclined? But yeah, this is, this is a polarized discussion, I feel like. And it feels so easy to be like, eh, let's kind of not think about that, right? Because it seems like yeah. so, so much of a complex situation, which it is. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to yeah. minimize it to being like it's just simply letting people in or not. Yeah. But here, I, I'm i very happy about the amount of people that have stepped up in solidarity to yeah. mm-hmm. I, like sign petitions or protest or whatever else yeah. for people to be able to stay here. Because like yeah. you said, it's, it's a classmate, it's a child, it's, yeah. a, you know, a family. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, so. yeah. So I think that maybe this closeness makes it a little bit different yeah. for for people. But at the same time, it is also, you see, you know, like you were talking about this kind of reification of the asylum seeker as someone who is only thinking about free ride. Right. So this is a discussion that is so visible in the European context and that is completely taken up here somehow in Iceland. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I, I think is interesting is to see how much of this discussion has become so globalized. Mm-hmm. So you have the same themes, you know, like with Muslims, you have this hate here toward Muslims yeah. also in Iceland. But at the same time, you have very few yeah. Muslims so in the country <laughs> and they're not visibly very, right. you know, predominant. So, right. But, but still... Often so the interaction is not even there yeah, for most exactly, people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is, that's, it's so sad. Because then you end up getting those ignorant comments like, I don't like those types of people. And it's like, first of all, there are no those types of people. The, they're individuals, yeah. right, who yeah. who might believe in a certain religion, but they yeah. have their own personality. They have their own way of, you know, being in the world. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, again, it's like just taking a group and deciding for every for all everyone, everyone in that group that they are a yeah. certain way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, uh, we have to think about, uh, again, with the terms, the mm-hmm. terminology that people use. You know, people who, uh, 20 years earlier, who would have been seen as, you know, identified with their countries or something like that. Yeah. All of a sudden, the word Muslims is being used. Right. Anthropologist Tom, Thomas Hilland Eriksson has talked about this in the Nordic context, how that shifted, mm. you know, after, uh, especially after... Uh, September. Yeah, 11th. Yeah. Yep. Yes, I do, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay, so after George Floyd's murder Mm -hmm. by a police officer in the U.S., um, there was a gathering here in Reykjavik, Mm -hmm. and kind of talked about that a little bit before. And they were showing solidarity with Black Americans Mm -hmm. and, of course, condemning the death of, uh, of killing of him, basically. And I've seen multiple people from different backgrounds here, meaning like they just don't fit the Icelandic whiteness yeah. um, who are Icelandic who have then been starting to talk about their experience, yeah. right? 
but I know it's pretty early on. So mm-hmm. it's like maybe someone is looking into like kind of keeping track of how this shifts over time. Yeah. But I'm just wondering, have you been noticing any reactions to these stories or mm-hmm. self-reflection that's happening? Because, you know, it can be mutually exclusive where people mm-hmm. say like, I'm against racism and, you know, treating people like this in the U.S. because it's where this is blowing up. Yeah. But then at the same time being like, we're you know, like we've been mentioning mm-hmm. Iceland is not a part of this. Yeah. We don't have any of those yeah. issues, period. Mm-hmm. So there isn't a reason for us to like self-reflect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So have you been seeing or hearing about any self-reflection on Icelandic society that you think is significant? Yeah. I think or I'm hoping that there is a certain paradigm shift happening now. Like I was saying earlier, a lot of young Icelandic people stepping forward who are black or Mm non-white. And I think these stories have made a lot of impact on those who are native Icelanders who would be classified as white. I think that has definitely changed something and opened the eyes of a lot of people to what this is actually about. But at the same time, you know, there is also this discussion like, you know, like tearing down the statues, t- changing mm-hmm. the brand name. You know, why is this necessary? This has nothing to do with racism. Mm-hmm. You know, when has this gone too far? Mm-hmm. You know, so so there is also kind of, you see some of the same threats like previously, not really understanding how, you know, like, like with the terminology, why is this? relevant right yeah but i think in in terms of uh, you know icelandic exceptionalism i think it is becoming more and more difficult somehow to maintain that the outside world doesn't have anything to do with us that it is actually outside i think that is a position that you know you really have to you know, ho- you know, close your eyes mm-hmm. and just st- keep them closed right. in order to retain that position. Yeah. Or even minimizing it to as an individual, yeah. I don't see that. So then it's yeah. almost like as if that yeah. radiates out to the society, yeah. right? And yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been super helpful yeah, and enlightening. Is there anything else that you wanted to potentially add or you yeah. think might be helpful? I thought it was very interesting when I took the interviews in relation to the Negro boys Mm -hmm. because part of them I took uh, with people from different African countries and when I presented that I thought it was interesting you know for native Icelandic people to hear Mm. their perception yeah because in some ways uh, they reproduced the Icelandic exceptionalism, saying, well, there is no racism here in Iceland, Mm -hmm. and then, of course, bringing out stories of racism. But what I think was a little bit shocking for some of of the people that I have talked to about the results of this research was that the way that they described Icelandic people as very ignorant, Mm. very naive. And that is not necessarily the image. That is a little bit different from saying, well, we didn't have anything to do with it. Right. We were innocent, being ignorant. Like one uh, person I spoke to from uh, South Africa, he said, you know, Icelandic people are like children mm. in kindergarten, playing in the sandbox, not re- just saying whatever comes to their mind, 
not necessarily meaning it, yeah. but still completely closing their eyes or, you know, like the same mentality yeah. as small kids. Hmm. So I thought it was kind of interesting just to hear, you know, that criticism mm-hmm. being posed. Yeah, I've heard the ignorance thing a lot from a lot of different yeah. people, yeah. which is kind of fascinating to me because it's like, do I think that people want to continue with a label that sounds like they're uneducated about what's exactly. happening, yeah. right? Yeah. And I would think no. No. <laughs> and, and as you know, I mean... Uh, here in Iceland, American TV is very popular. Yes. How can you not know yeah. that some of these terms are racist? Yeah. I mean, how is that possible? It again, it doesn't. It's not a that it doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist here. Yeah. I yeah. get to step outside of that because in our society we just don't do that, yeah. right? Or we yeah. don't feed into this but if you're consuming media mm-hmm. you're going to start embodying some of it i mean that's like, it's an active thing we have to like work yeah. on but like as you mentioned earlier with the steps of yeah. acknowledging mm-hmm. first that there's a problem <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like so <laughs> important <laughs> yeah definitely yeah okay well my last question uh-huh. or actually before i go into the last question i'd love to know um are there any books that people could if they were interested in like how could people f- mm-hmm. read more find out more about the work that you've been doing yeah. here, if they were interested in kind of mm-hmm. diving deeper into the subject. Yeah. I published uh, last year uh, this book here, Crisis and Coloniality at Europe Margins, okay. Creating Exotic Iceland. So in that book, I try to communicate it in a rather personal way, yeah. because I think it is a way to making results kind of more accessible. Yeah. Uh, to to the readers, but I'm trying to trace exactly this idea of Icelandic exceptionalism from the early 19th century until the time of nation branding okay. in, of Iceland. So I think if people are interested, that would be yeah. And I could put a link to that in the show notes. Um, yeah, oh, that my, that is wonderful. Yeah, so people can check that out. But then I also, you know, for people who are interested in like Nordic exceptionalism, there is a edited book from that seminar that I mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. that is edited by myself and Lars Jensen Whiteness and Postcolonialism in the Nordic Region where we are looking at you know different Nordic countries and their experiences of Nordic uh, you know how does Nordic exceptionalism how is it expressed in different uh, contexts because it's not always like here in Iceland people do not really see them Selves as part of Nordic exceptionalism. Right. It's more that it's just similar patterns right. that we can identify here as we see elsewhere. Fascinating. Okay, and now it's my last question, yeah. mm-hmm. which I ask everybody. So it's, it can be related to the topic or not. Yeah. But what is your favorite Icelandic word or phrase? Wow. I never thought. <laughs> I know most people were like, "Why would I ever?" Have? But in essence, you know, if anything that makes you feel good when you say it. Yeah. I feel like this is something that I would definitely come up with when I walk away from here. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just think a little bit. Yeah. Maybe umhikja. Umhikja. Yeah. Okay. And that's like if I am, I'm of course not a linguistic, but if I would break it into parts, hikja is to think about someone, and um is around. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think to me it refers to. 
not only just thinking about yourself, but also to other people, you mm-hmm. know, like caring for others. So yeah. that pops into my mind. It's not necessarily the favorite. Yeah, but word, still, yeah. But it's still a word, you know. And it's pretty relevant to what we're talking about because yeah. in essence, it's some form of compassion. Yeah. 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 Great. <laughs> Thank you, Christine, so much. Thank you very much.